It is a privilege to be with you <clears throat> this morning. As I, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, I preached at Idaville Church 57 years ago. I was a sophomore at Huntington College, then now Huntington University, and uh, I was invited to come and, and share the Word of God uh, with you on that occasion. Well, you don't have to bother inviting me back in 57 more years. <laughs> I think I will pass on that. It is such a blessing to have two sons and a daughter who are serving the Lord today in various capacities. And I, I want to say this for your encouragement. Our oldest son, Fred, was an alcoholic for 16 years. And one morning in my devotional time, I received a phone call from a friend and said, do you know what your son Fred is into? And I said, yes, we do. And I went back to my devotions that I was having when the phone call came. And I said, Lord, I know what this passage says, and it doesn't apply to where I am this morning. And there was a footnote in my Bible. And it took me back to Isaiah 53, 54, 13. And the words there were, All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. And I said, Lord, you've given me a promise, and I'm claiming it. And I say to the glory of God today that that is where all of our kids are. Our son Fred is serving the Lord, not as a pastor. He's a paralegal, in fact, in a, in a law firm in Birmingham. He is serving the Lord in a way that I never dreamed he would, apart from the grace and the mercy and the power of God. The most uh, popular scripture this week, and we have heard great preaching, has been Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. And I've got to tell you today <clears throat> that your pastor is a deceiver <laughs> because he kept from me the fact that uh, Gary uh, Greco was going to be speaking from his very same passage on Tuesday evening. <laughs> but the Lord had laid the message on my heart a couple of months ago. And uh, I have gone over it again and again. You know, you never get done, you never get finished um, preparing a sermon. The time comes and you preach it. And there's always more to be said, always more to be learned. And I've discovered that about God's word. I've been in the word now for many, many years, having invited Jesus into my life at 11 years of age. And I still go to places in the Bible and I say, Where, when did that get there? <laughs> And God speaks to me in a new and fresh way. So I make no apology for uh, preaching from the same passage that Gary did on Tuesday evening because I think there is still more here that the Lord wants us to see. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17, but even before that, I want to go back to chapter 2 and pick up just a few verses there. Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. 
Would you do something that has kind of become a tradition for me? Would you be standing for the reading of God's word just to honor his word and the one who is behind the word? Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And now in chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all these things, as, all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I would like to use the prayer of our pastor in Birmingham every Sunday morning before he opens the word of God. Uh, would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we come this morning with your word before us. And I would pray, O oh God, that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and be remembered no more. But may your word be precious to us and thrill us and change us. These moments are yours, O oh Holy Spirit. Come and use them to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The National Bureau of Standards and Technology is located in Gaithersburg, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., as you probably well know. It was established by the United States government as the National Bureau of Standards in 1901. 
It assumed its new name in 1988 to include not just the standards for weights and measurements in these United States, but also as labs for technological research and development. And so you have there at the National Bureau of, what was called the National Bureau of Standards, the name with which I'm most familiar, uh, you have there the standard for the inch, for the yard, for the foot, of course, for the mile. You have there the standard for the quart and the pint and the gallon and all of those things, all kinds of other standards. And the reason for that is that standards are important. Standards are important. You can't have someone making measurements with, one, with an inch that is maybe an inch and a half long, and over here is someone making a measurement that is an inch, a true inch long. It would be absolute and utter confusion. Without standards, everyone would do, as is said of the people of Israel during, in, in the book of Judges, that everyone did that which is right or that which he saw fit in his own eyes. So you can't have that. You can't have a foot that is one measurement here, a foot that is another measurement over here. I mention that because God set the standard for his people early on in the Old Testament. You've heard, in fact, Joab Boo alluded to this on Wednesday evening, I think it was, where in, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, God says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. And then Peter both quoted and applied those words in the New Testament. Again, Joabu reminded us of that the other evening in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now just in case you don't understand what that means... Jesus spelled it out in simplest terms in his Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mention all of that because we have been speaking about holiness throughout this week. And I'm going to be addressing this morning the issue of holiness in our relationships. Holiness in our relationships. But the point that I want to make at the outset is that God is the standard for holiness. And holiness, by the way, simply means wholeness. Wholeness in every area of our lives. It means living the way God designed and made us to live way back at creation, long before Christ ever came to die for our sins. God's standard of holiness or wholeness was set at creation. To be holy is to be perfect. It is to be perfect in character. It is to be perfect in conduct because God is holy in his character, in his conduct. In fact, someone has said that God's character is the standard of holiness for the whole universe. And so God is the standard. But practically, holiness means to be Christ-like, first of all, in who we are, and, and then in what we do and say and even in what we think. So that is the standard. 
Now, we don't live up to that standard. That's true. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't live up to that standard, but God does not change the standard to accommodate the sinfulness of human beings. He never has. He never will. He does not today. His standard is absolute perfection. His standard is the character and the conduct of the Lord Jesus Christ as we saw it lived out as the... um, Those who lived in Jesus' day saw it lived out and it has been recorded in God's word for us. Now that standard actually is nowhere more important nor is it anywhere more difficult than in our relationships with those around us, particularly in the home and in the church. It is in those places that the rubber meets the road. It is in those places where the challenge really begins. Because the reality is, can we be honest with one another this morning in the church, the reality is we don't really like each other all that much. We say we love one another, but there may be people that we avoid. There may be people that we cannot stand, people that annoy us and irritate us. And so again, we say we love them, but we don't necessarily like them. Now, by the way, that's not a new problem. A large portion of the New Testament is devoted to passages that tell us as believers how we ought to relate to one another, how we ought to treat one another in the body of Christ. There are no less than 18 one another concepts scattered throughout the New Testament through the teachings of Jesus, the writings of Paul and and of Peter, even the writer of Hebrews. In fact, there are 18 one another concepts, but they are mentioned a total of 27 times in the New Testament. They must be pretty important. They tell us how to get along with one another. By the way, you'll have to forgive me, but I just have a drippy nose all the time, all right? Since my childhood. So the question before us today is this. How do we practice holiness? How do we practice wholeness? How do we practice Christ-likeness in our relationships with one another? How do we get a handle on, on those relationships? What does it require for us personally in our daily contacts and, our, and interactions with one another? So let's look at what Paul writes here in the book of Colossians to these believers Because I think this chapter has everything, the passage, the portion of the chapter I read at least, has everything to do with our relationships. And Peter, or Paul rather, says in essence, hear me now. Peter says in essence, you have everything you need to enjoy healthy and fulfilling relationships, if not perfectly, at least substantially. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have everything you need to get along with those around you, everything. Now, what, how does Paul develop that? First of all, he calls us to hold, uh, or, I'm sorry, holiness in relationships requires a proper focus, a proper focus. And so Paul begins this chapter, verses 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. He goes on to say, set your minds on things above, not on earthly, earthly things. The way to avoid or to repair a strain in your relationship with others is to refuse to focus on the person or on the problem. Did you hear what I just said? The way to to repair or to avoid strain in your relationship is refuse to focus on the person or on the problem. That's often where we make our mistake. 
We see each other's flaws because we put so much effort into focusing on the person rather than on the relationship. May I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ came to focus not on who we are, but on our relationship with him. And that's holiness, to focus on the relationship. Again, let's be honest with one another. People around you are going to disappoint you. They're going to even irritate you because we are all flawed. And, and here's an epiphany. You're flawed just like, just like the people around you that annoy you and irritate you. And that is true of me as well. More than that, we, we, we cannot fix our relationship through self-help techniques. They might seem to work a little bit. They're no lasting solution. Because they are earthly means that don't really work out in the end. Paul has a different approach here. He has an approach that works. Bring, bring holiness, he says. Bring Christ-likeness into your relationships. And how do you do that? By setting your heart on things that are above, not on earthly things. Setting your mind on those things, not on earthly things. And by the way, the word set here means to strive after. It implies an all-out effort. It doesn't come easily, these relationships with those around us. They don't come easily. I, I, I'm in involved right now in premarital counseling with a couple in Birmingham, a young couple. And in, throughout the years in my premarital counseling, I've said to couples, let me give you a couple of reasons why your marriage ought to fail. Number one, you're of two different genders. You will never think alike. You will never think alike on everything. Probably on most things, you'll never think alike. And after 50, what, five years of marriage, I can tell you, I think it's getting worse instead of better in our, in our not thinking alike. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, and another reason why your marriage should fail is because life changes us. It just does it. It blindsides us. And another reason is because we're of different backgrounds. Mary was a farmer's daughter. I wasn't. I was a body and fender man's son. And so all kinds of reasons, you know, relationships set your mind. Paul says, strive after these things. Give it, all, give it all out effort. Again, that has never been more important or more difficult than in our day when we have been confronted with a pandemic, we've been confronted with social distancing, and more recently with a gas shortage, all of which have threatened to dominate or to destroy our focus. And not only so, but we live in a day of what I call the unsocial media that have given us the cult of the easily offended all of which have demonstrated their power to destroy relationships. I'm not on the social media. I've got to be honest and tell you that. But I hear some things that are being said, and I am appalled. I am appalled by what people say. Christian people will say on social media because they, they, they don't, they're not confronting people face to face. I mean, I just tell you, that's dishonoring to the Lord. If you are saying things in social media that you wouldn't say to someone if you were face-to-face -face with that person, that is not of the Lord. Why does Paul highlight our hearts and our minds in bringing wholeness into our relationships? Because our hearts, first of all, are the seat of our emotions. That's where we feel. And not only so, our hearts are the seat of our affections, so that as you set your heart on things above, you begin to feel toward others as God feels toward them. 
Your affections are drawn toward them so that you begin to see what is good in them rather than what is bad or wrong or annoying. And so Paul says, set your hearts on those things that are above and it will affect your relationships. But not only so, set your mind on things that are above. Your mind is the seat of your thought, the seat of your thoughts. That's where all of the reasoning goes on. It's also the seat of your expectations. Much of the strain in our relationships arises from an unrealistic and consequently disappointing, disappointed expectations of others. When you set your mind on things above, you begin to see what God has done or is doing in the lives of those around you, not on what you think they ought to be at any given moment in time. Set your heart and your mind on things above. Remember, God is not done with any one of us. He is not done with those who annoy you, those who are unlike you just as he is not done with you. We are all on a journey toward completion, all on a journey toward maturity, all on a journey toward perfection, but none of us has arrived yet. Even if we're tempted to give other people the impression that we have. Paul gives us the right perspective in writing to the Philippians in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He will carry it on to completion. We are not yet completed. John writes in 1 John 3.2, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're not there yet. But that is the end goal. We will be absolutely Christ-like when he comes back for us. And so holiness and relationships begin with a heavenly focus. I'm not going to spend as much time on the rest. Aren't you glad? Secondly, holiness requires honest identification. Honest ident- identification. Paul writes in verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Notice the word for at the beginning of that verse. It gives you the reason why you should have an upward focus. Again, let's be honest. We all put on a front. We all put on a mask. We all put on a favorite persona, particularly when we come to church, so that others will see only what we want them to see. But may I tell you this morning, that's the wrong identity. It's the absolutely wrong identity. When you do that, you are not really being who you are in Christ. According to Paul, that is an identity that has died. And therefore, it is really, really, it really does not exist anymore. As of this past March, in fact, on March the 13th, I now, both of my parents are now with the Lord. My mother died at 97 years of age. And as I looked on mother's body in the casket at her visitation, I had the same sense that I did when I looked on my father's body in the hospital room back in 1982 when he went to be with the Lord. And I just said, he or she, they're not there. They're not there. That's the kind of thing I think Paul is writing about here. Your old identity has died. Your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Don't invite those around you to a viewing of a dead person. Instead, be who you are in Christ in your relationships with those around you. 
being who you are in Christ has several very practical benefits. First of all, you don't have to be, you don't have to compete rather with others, which is often a great source of conflict. No one can be as good at being you as you are. Nobody. You don't have to compete with anyone else. Nobody can be you. Mary has to remind me of that an awfully lot. The second practical benefit is you don't have to react to, the, to others' treatment of you. No one and nothing can hurt you, so it doesn't matter what others say about you or say to you or, or, or how they treat you. You don't have to react to their treatment. A third uh, benefit is that you don't have to try to be like someone else. By the way, have you noticed that God made you to be like his son? He did not make you to be like another of his children. Not another of his children. Just his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then another benefit of that is that you can be honest about your journey, including your flaws. You can say with Paul, not that I, in Philippians 4.12, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Again, let me emphasize, you're not there yet, I'm not there yet. We're on a journey. But I am so grateful for the engineer in this journey, for the one who's directing it, the one who is taking me to places that I don't see that I need to go, the one who will bring me to the station at the end of the journey. Holiness in relationships is simply being who you are in Christ. Celebrate that. Let other people see that. T put a, throw away the mask. Throw away your, your, your favorite persona. Let people see who you are and what Christ is doing in your life as an encouragement to them about what he's doing in their lives. Holiness thirdly requires radical living. Verses 5 through 10. Paul says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. In verse 8, rid yourselves of all such things as these, and then he gives the list, and Gary mentioned them on Tuesday evening. <coughs> the tragedy I see <coughs> in today's church in America is that so few Christians are living in a way that is countercultural, even though that is what Christ has called us to. He did not call us to reflect the culture around us. He called us to reflect himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we too easily adopt the world's values and lifestyle and speech and attitudes and, and practices even when they are strictly forbidden by God's word. We have caved into the culture rather than changed the culture. And we are the poor and our nation is poorer because of it. That is what Paul addresses in verses 5 through 10. He reminds us again, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator there in verses 9 and 10. Now he says, in essence, live like it. Live like it. You've taken off that old self. You've put on the new self. Now live like it. And in case you can't figure out what he might be talking about, he lists some of the old, the old practices that you need to pull the plug on, that you need to rob of power, which is actually what put to death really means in, in, in our modern vernacular. Notice the things that he mentioned. Sexual immorality, that's simply illicit sex by biblical standards, not the world's standards. And by the way, that includes premarital sex. It's forbidden. We act today like it's okay. It's not. 
Jesus has never set his seal of approval on it. Impurity is the other thing that he mentions, which is moral uncleanness. Think of pornography, for example, if you don't know for sure what uh, Paul means by writing that. Lust, lust is unbridled passion. Evil desire is unfulfilled craving that leads to lust or unbridled passion. Greed is the desire to have what others have, or often it's the desire to have more than others have. And notice that Paul says that is idolatry. It's putting things above God, greed. Paul's point is simply this. That is what you once were, but not what you are now in Christ. So don't walk around in a dead body. Put it all to death. Live in your new body. Live in your new life in Christ. That is radical, and it's becoming increasingly radical in our day. But Paul's not done. You also need to rid yourself of some other practices that may represent your default responses. One of them he mentions, the first one he mentions is, is anger. And he's talking here about a, a settled anger that is vindictive and harbors a grudge or the desire for revenge. I mean, it's an intense anger. By the way, Johnses are noted for having a, a temper. It, it's come right down through the generations. And so I can always blame up. I know we found out in, we found out in Sunday school class this morning, the Sunday school lesson, I can't blame my parents for what I've done. <laughs> can't bl- blame a grandparent. You know, isn't it sad that God does not tolerate blame shifting? I mean, I mean, he just doesn't. He just doesn't. You can't find it anywhere in the scripture. He makes us recept, accept responsibility for who we are and and. and where we have come from, anger. Well, the other one, Paul, another one Paul mentions is rage. That is a sudden outburst of anger that has been building up inwardly, usually over a period of time. He talks about malice, which is a vicious desire to get even with others. Slander, which is actually blasphemy. It, it, it is attributing um, to, to others what, that which I know is not true. We know about blasphemy against God. We can also blaspheme other people. Slander. Filthy language. Profanity. Uncontrolled speech is what that means. Lying, which is deliberate deception by stating what you know to be false. Think of politicians. But we all do it. We all do it. Stating what we know to be false in order to advance an agenda that we might have. The point here is, is that in all of these, all of these practices, rather, are enemies of relationships. And in fact, they either prevent or destroy healthy relationships. And, and Paul says, either put them to death or rid yourselves of them. Holiness demands that you become radical in that way as you live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, holiness requires a commitment to unity. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, and then he has another list. That's in verse 12, by the way, that I just read. Have you noticed that the world around you has become tribal in its thinking so that differences are highlighted? Differences between ethnic groups, between male and female, 
between the rich and poor, between the intellectual and non-intellectual, between, between Democrat and Republican, liberal and conservative, and the list could go on and on and on. The direct result of tribalism is intolerance toward those who are not like you, who are not part of, of your particular mindset or your particular group. And I don't have to chronicle for you this morning the division that tribalism has created and is perpetuating in our nation even at this very moment. And at best, when tribalism takes over, you end up with unholy alliances that focus attention on a common enemy rather than, a hel- rather than on healthy and, and honest and, and holy interactions. Even many in the church have gotten caught up in tribalism. We call it denominationalism, I suppose. One of the great benefits that I received from my upbringing, my father and mother were involved in organizations and in movements in the Chambersburg area that brought denominations together. And so I came up with a love and an appreciation for various people of various denominations. I've pastored in a, I've been an interim pastor in a Baptist church, an interim pastor in a Wesleyan church, I've been a United Brethren. We are currently attending a, 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 a an interdenominational church. I have come to love people of all stripes. And I, and, and I applaud my father and my mother for that exposure that they gave me. I didn't marry a united brethren girl. I married a brethren in Christ girl. The only thing I did was got her united. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, this, this tribalism in the church, no, we've got to let go of it. It destroys relationships. In the face of all of that, Paul calls us to focus on what unites us, not, what on, not on what divides us. And that's true not just about denominations. That's true of local churches. I've pastored long enough to know that in local churches we are inclined to focus on what divides us rather than what unites us. We tend to focus, that we need to focus rather, rather on what is best in others, not what is the worst in them. And the Lord has to remind me of that on a regular basis, especially in regard to our politicians, some of them. And, I, and the Lord just has to say, Fred, I love them as much as I do you. And I say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I don't deserve the love that you've shown to me. Be willing to admit that you're wrong in your preferences, that you're wrong in your opinions. Paul reminded the Corinthians believers, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. God has gifted each one of you to minister to those around you for their good, not for your glory, for their good and the glory of God. Notice how that expresses itself in verses 12 through 14. I'm just going to run through the list very quickly. Clothe yourselves, Paul says, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, along with forbearance, forgiveness, and love, which he says binds all of these virtues together in perfect unity. Not only so, but those virtues also bind our hearts together in perfect unity. You see, holiness and relationships is unifying. I'm just about done. Holiness results in fulfillment also in our relationships. That's number five. Whatever you do in thought, in word or deed rather, Paul says in verse 17, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The bottom line is this. 
Holiness gives us what we are really longing for in our relationships. Because that's, again, how we were made. God, God made us as relational people. And we want healthy relationships. That, that, that longing for those relationships is a, is a part of God's moral and spiritual image that he has put uniquely in every human being. And it comes with us at birth. All we have to do is let it come out, as Paul suggests here. Just let it come out. Now, of course, he presupposes a relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost. And if you're here this morning and you have never invited Christ into your life, maybe none of this makes any sense of you whatsoever. That's the starting point. I've been speaking primarily this morning to those who are followers of Jesus, those who have committed their lives to him. And hopefully we all understand what it is we're talking about here. But if you've never invited Jesus into your life, then it probably doesn't make any sense to you. That's the starting point. You too can have a healthy relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit who comes to infill you at the moment you invite Jesus into your life. And then all of these other relationships flow out of that relationship, that most important of all. And so you cannot enjoy holiness or fulfillment in the relationships until you know intimately the one who is the foundation of all relationships. That is the role, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the follower of Jesus. I want you to notice quickly in closing just two benefits uh, of holiness in your relationships that Paul mentions here <clears throat> in this chapter. In verse 15, he talks about the peace of Christ. I don't know of anyone who actually enjoys conflict in relationships. I suppose there are a few strange people among us who enjoy that. Uh, but, but most of us don't enjoy conflict in our relationships. We all long for peaceful and harmonious relationships. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul reminds us in Romans 5.1 that first of all, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been his enemies, but now we have peace with him. We are reconciled to him. That, that relationship is on the right track, that vertical relationship. But once you have peace with God in the vertical relationship, you have peace with Christ. I'm sorry, you have the peace of Christ that Paul mentions in, the, in this passage. And again, he would suggest all you have to do is let it come out. Just open the faucet and it will flow into all of your relationships, this peace of Christ. But not only so, Paul says you also have the word of Christ. Here in God's word, you have a gold mine of resources for teaching and admonishing. And, and Paul says, even singing in your relationship with other believers, there is always more to be discovered, always more to put into practice in God's word. All you have to do is get into the word and allow it to enrich all of your relationships and, and to bring fulfillment. The problem is the busyness of our lives. That's the reason we don't get into God's word. I, I, I know it from my own life. I've talked to so many other believers who say my life is just so busy that I neglect my spiritual life. I neglect the word. Let me tell you, no matter how busy you are, if it's five minutes a day, get into the word. Get into the word because it will affect all of your relationships, all of them. And again, Paul says, let it dwell in you richly. And to the extent that it does, his word, your relationships will be holy, they will be wholesome relationships. And that's what we are really made for. That is indeed fulfillment. So holiness or Christ-likeness makes them 
And your relationships makes them absolutely fulfilling as you minister to those around you and as you receive ministry from them. I'm just going to mention very, very quickly because it, it's in, it's in your, your worship guide, uh, five practical steps. And, and basically, basically, they're just a reiteration of the five points that I have made this morning <coughs> in regard to relationships. Um, you can really practice holiness in relationships if you focus on things above, not on earthly things. If you focus on who you are in Christ, not on what you were. If you are radical in getting rid of those things that destroy the relationships. If you focus on what unites you with others rather than what divides you. And if you let the peace of Christ flow out of you and the word of Christ flow into you and dwell in you. You know, you have everything you need everything you need to enjoy healthy and harmonious and fulfilling relationships. God has not led us, left us rather um, with a dearth. He has given us a plethora of all that we need to honor and glorify him in our relationships. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are grateful to you that we've been able to look into your word this morning. We thank you that your word has power. And Father, again, might my words be forgotten, but may your word find a resting place in the hearts and lives of all who have listened this morning. Might, they, might it go with them throughout the week and, uh, and throughout the remainder of this day, of course, but then also throughout the week. Change us, O oh Lord. Uh, give us a new love and appreciation for those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.